hey there, Newbridge family. We are back with another sermon that is relevant to literally every person in the world. Today, Myron is talking about death, specifically the fear of death and how to overcome it. If this is something you've ever dealt with before or are even currently dealing with, grab something to take some notes with because you will want to remember everything Myron says today. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. It's a nice, wet morning. It's amazing. But hey, we're in the series, Fear Not. My name is Myron uh, Jealous. I'm the next-gen pastor here, so well, I introduce myself. Glad you're here if, if you haven't been here before. And this series, Fear Not, <clears throat> really is, is unpacking fear from all angles. We're going to spend a lot of weeks uh, unpacking fear because fear is something we all experience in this life. No one's exempt from it. And it has the impact to debilitate and uproot your experience of experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus wants all of us to have for those of us who choose to follow him. And so we got to navigate our fear well. And the Bible has a lot to say about fear. The Bible actually says a lot to God's people, fear not, do not be afraid. So what does that look like for us to fear not and to not be afraid with all the crazy that exists in our world? So today, the question I want to ask you is this. If you knew your death date, like if you knew it, like let's just, let's just shorten it a little bit. Not just knowing it, but like you have one year left to live. What would you do? Would you Tim McGraw it with the song, Live Like You Were Dying? Go skydiving, ride a bull, zero to 60 in a race car, or a drag car? Would you fill your fleshly experience with all that you could, liquidate the bank account, stop working, I'm traveling the world, I'm gonna maximize this last year of my life, live like you were dying. And if we're honest, that's where our natural instinct goes to. Like if we knew that that was the end, I'm gonna cram everything I can into these last remaining days to live the fullness of life with what our flesh says. But that phrase, live like you were dying, that Tim McGraw has, is our flesh. But here's what I think. We can use that phrase, live like you were dying, and apply it to a life following Christ. And if we do that, if we live in lieu of death or in light of death, because death is coming for all of us, no one escapes it, then it changes the way that you live the life that you have while you still have it with a proper perspective. So I got this illustration here. There is this rope. We're going to hog tie. Any volunteer want to come up? Get hog? I'm just kidding. This little piece of tape right here. I'm going to have Sam. He's going to come up here in a minute. This little piece of tape right here represents your 70 to 80 years. This is your life on earth in comparison to eternity. In comparison to your soul, which will live on forever in heaven or in hell. But this is your life right here. And if we stretch this out and just think about it, just so you guys can see how insignificant 70 or 80 years is in the grand scheme of your existence of your soul spending eternity, I want you to just take a look. He's going to, a little faster, tug of war. Watch this. Like he could probably go out onto the sidewalk. I have so much rope here, but look. This is your life, people, Orange here on earth. The rope is your eternity. And here's the thing about this illustration. We try to cram so much stuff into this. 
so much experience and desires of our flesh and travel and you name it, success and bank account, retirement and money and pleasure. We, we, we stress and we are so fearful to miss out on 70, 80 years. But man, if you, if you, if you put all of your hope and your trust in this, you might just miss out on eternity. When you misprioritize what is most important in your life and you're so scared of dying and you're so afraid that you wanna maximize everything in this 70, 80 years, you might just forfeit your soul being in eternity. This is so insignificant in the bigger picture of our life. And so having the proper perspective to live like you're dying, live in lieu of death right here, the end starts a new beginning of eternity for the rest of your life. We are all um, spiritual beings having a temporary earthly experience. We're made in the image of God with a soul that will spend it one place in eternity, heaven or hell. And I wanna help us try to reframe our perspective to stop living on the piece of tape and start living for the whole rope. And when you have that perspective, death isn't so scary anymore. And so today's topic is fearing death. How do we overcome death? You see, there was a fam famous uh, um, theologian. His name was Martin Luther. You might have heard of him way back. He, had, he, he nailed his thesis to the, to, the, to the door of the church. And Martin Luther was asked, hey, if the world was gonna end, what would you do? And he simply said, I would just plant an apple tree. Now, history would tell us if you study his life, he loved apple orchards and apple nurseries. And he, that's probably what he did as a hobby. But, he, but basically what he's saying is, I'm gonna continue to do what I've always done, what my purpose is, what, what I love doing. I'm not chasing fame and pleasure and travel and experiences and cramming. Every, I'm just gonna keep doing faithfully what I've been called to do. And I love the antidote of the apple tree because once you plant an apple tree and you pass away, that apple tree still remains and provides fruit and benefit and food to the next generation. And so would your life, your take on the rope be a blessing and a benefit as you plant trees, so to speak, as you leave behind a legacy of what matters most because you have a different perspective on the 70, 80 years if you're fortunate enough to live that piece of tape and you got a bigger perspective of the whole entire rope. Because the only, one of the only things we know for certain about this life is that it will end. Nobody escapes death unless your name is Jesus. Or if you were Lazarus or the few people that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Or if you're Old Testament, you know, understand the Old Testament, Enoch and Elijah and maybe Mechizedek. We're not sure exactly what happened there. God kind of, you know, zapped him up into heaven, but 99.9999999, you could go on for infinity. Percent of people die. And as a follower of Christ, as someone who has a perspective on life, you don't have to fear it. And so I wanna unpack how we cannot fear death, how you can beat death, because really you can't beat death. But if you follow Jesus and you know the gospel and you're a certainty, you have, cert you have certainty about that, you can beat death. It doesn't beat you. So here's three things to remember as we beat death. Number one is that we were meant to live, not die. You were meant to live forever. Humanity, all of humans were meant to live forever and not to die. Because of sin, entering into the garden with Adam and Eve, that one of the curses of sin was for our human selves to die. It says this in Genesis chapter three, verse 17. 
God said to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. You were made from the earth, Adam. You were made from dust. And now because you ate of this fruit, you're gonna return to the dirt. And you're gonna suffer for all of your life. You're gonna fight against the world. You're gonna fight against the, you know, to- tilling the soil and producing fruit. Your, their labor's gonna be burdensome. Life's not gonna be so good now because of sin. And ultimately, you're gonna die. Verse 20 says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You see, when sin entered into the world and plagued all of humanity from the very beginning, death is a consequence of that. And it's actually really kind of cool when you think about, you know, Adam and Eve, they realized they were naked because they sinned. And so paradise is like naked and free. Like it's just paradise. It's perfection. But because of their sin, they needed clothes and they, went to put, they, they covered up with fig leaves, the story goes. But then God sees them and says, the fig leaves aren't suitable for you. He gives them garments of skin. So there is an animal sacrifice that happens because of sin. Blood needed to be shed and God in his grace sacrificed an animal to cover them up. And so sin leads to death. And it led to the death of the first animal sacrifice, which became the standard of the Jewish culture for atonement for their sins. Their separation from God was animal sacrifices all through the Old Testament until Jesus came. And he would be the final sacrificial lamb that would take away the sins of the entire world once and for all, because sin leads to death and sin deserves justice. And death is the only way to pay for the sin in our life. And so you see, we were meant to live forever, but because of sin, we will die. But God loves us with his unconditional love enough to not leave us in our sin. And he provides a substitution through Jesus as the sacrifice to pay for our sin. Another consequence of sin, I've already said this, is pain and suffering. Everything broken and evil and wicked in our world and everything wrong with our world is because of sin. And here's, here's kind of the, a blessing and a curse about living in America or, or the United States in the West with our, with our faith and with Christianity is we don't suffer here at all. If you look in the Bible and you watch the Christians, the early Christians, and you read the New Testament, they were under intense persecution. Their life was at risk most days, probably. They were hated and outcast and they would suffer. And, and if, you want to talk, if you want to suffer well, go read 1 Peter. Write it down, go read First Peter and learn how to suffer well. And when we suffer well, it's a great indication of our perspective on eternity. When we can go through the pain and the suffering of this life as a consequence for sin, knowing that sin doesn't define me because Jesus paid for it and I'm in Christ and I'm a new creation, it allows me to walk through whatever the world throws at me without fear and I can suffer well. And we're so blessed and cursed because... We avoid suffering at all costs. We have measures, technology, resources to not have to suffer in this life. 
But yet suffering produces perseverance and perseverance will make you a more mature and complete Christian because you begin to depend on God and see how good and faithful he is in the midst of your suffering. So would you suffer well? Would you realize that everything wrong in our world is a result of sin and sin caused separation from God and ultimately death, our years were numbered on this earth because of sin. Romans 6, 23 says this way, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We were all meant to die. Well, we were all meant to live, but because of sin, we're cursed with death. But the free gift of eternal life on the cross with Jesus is available to you, to to all of us. And if you make that step of faith and believe and you trust in that, knowing that you'll never be a good person, you can't ever earn your way to God. You can't ever become a right person. But only through the substitution, the great exchange, you can become right in God's eyes and the free gift of eternal life. It changes your perspective on death. It changes your perspective on the tape. And you realize I'm an eternal being that has an eternity somewhere and it'll be paradise. It'll be paradise. Perfect unity with God, the creator of the universe, like it was always meant to be. So remember, you were meant to live, not die. So it's okay to fear death a little bit because we were never meant to experience it. But you don't have to fear eternity because you know where your security is in eternity. But the, the process of dying is what's a little scary, isn't it? Like it's the fear of going through it and, and the pain and the suffering and the loss and the mourning, all of that. So it's okay to hold that in balance with our flesh, but know that he's overcome death. He's overcome the grave. He rose from the grave, proving that he's God and we will overcome the grave. Death is not the end. It's simply a new beginning. We were meant to live forever. Second thing to remember is this. Holding on makes it harder to let go. Man, when you hold on to the tape, when you hold on to the 80 years, when you try to cram everything and your whole entire life is built around that piece of tape, it is so much harder to let go when the end is coming. You start to scratch and claw for more, just another day, just another week, just another year, and we try to hold on. The harder we try to hold on, the more difficult it's gonna be to let go when the time comes. And I already said it, it's coming for all of us one day. Mark 8, Jesus says this in verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? If you're trying to save your life, you're at risk of losing it. And I don't mean you're going to die tomorrow, but I'm just saying you're not, you're, you might miss out on eternal life because you've prioritized your life, your wants, your desires, your temporary human experience is all about you and fulfilling desires that you have. And if that's you, Jesus is saying you, you are at risk of losing your life. But if you're somebody who understands the great exchange of Jesus on the cross as payment for you and you put your faith in that, and you lay down, it's called surrender. I surrender my whole entire life to you. I don't deserve life. You gave me life. This is not my life. This is yours that you purchased back with your sacrifice. And you surrender every aspect of your life, you'll find it. You'll find life and life to the full, the Bible says. Life more abundant, joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction are only found in the presence of Jesus. And if you hold on to your life, you're at risk of losing it. But if you lose your life for Jesus' sake and for his gospel, you will find it. If you crave comfort, 
and security in this life, it'll become your God and it'll rule over you. And everything you do and how you experience everything in this life will be run through that lens of comfort and security. But when you lay that down, you can live free and the fear doesn't dictate you. In our culture, we got the phrase, it's my life. It's my life. I'll do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. But if you think about what you have to believe, you have to believe one of two things. You have to believe that there's an intelligent designer, God, Yahweh, Jesus, who made everything and he made you. Or the alternative is the scientific theories that are theories and not proven of Big Bang and evolution. And so if Big Bang and evolution are are true, hypothetically because of the theory, then yeah, your life is yours and you can do whatever you want. And you'll see the the chaos and the fallout and and just the brokenness that exists because of that. But if there is a God who made all of this and made you and he knows you and he's placed you on this earth in this temporary human experience, he knows what years you're going to live. He's got a plan and a purpose for those years. If you have that perspective, then it's not even your life. He gave you this life in the first place. The reason you have breath in your lungs is because he had grace for you to say, here, here's life. And he made everything in this world for your enjoyment and for his glory. He wants you to steward everything in this world. He's not surprised by the creation of Facebook and technology and and, and all the resources that we have that we crave comfort. He allowed all of that to happen and he placed you here in this time and he gave you this life. And how prideful of us, if we have that mindset of God made us, for us to hold on to it and go, my life, it's not even yours. It's his life that he gave you and he's asking you to steward it. So would you lay it down? Would you lay it down? Would you lose your life? Because if you do, you will find your life. So I'm gonna ask you, where do you find life? Is it in your work? Is it in your occupation? Is it in your career? Is it in the climbing the corporate ladder? Is it in success? Is it in the 401k? Is it in the retirement? Is it in traveling the world and seeing the sights and the wonders of this world? Is it in your kids' travel sports? Is it in acceptance from your peers or your colleagues? Is it in the experiences of hobbies and golf and money, investments, you name it. What are you pulling your source of life from? That just might be the thing that's undermining, undermining your ability to surrender and lose your life so that you will find it. What's the one thing? There was a guy in the Bible, he's called the rich young ruler. He's found in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18, this story. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, good teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they had this conversation and Jesus goes, well, what do you mean good? Like, why you call me good? Like, no one's good. Jesus is affirming, you're not good. Sin (laughs) plagues you. You are separated from God. You'll never be good. Only God is good. And then they had this dialogue of like, yeah, you know the commands, you know the teachings, you know all of this. And the rich young ruler's like, yeah, man, I've been doing that since I was a kid. I grew up in the church. And then he looks at the rich young ruler and he says, well, sell everything. One thing you lack, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away sad because he's unwilling to give away to walk away, to lay down the one thing in his life that he is pulling his source of life from, which was his wealth. 
Now, this isn't a message about money and wealth, although the Bible talks about it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And there's a, the Bible talks a lot about money. It doesn't just mean money. What's the one thing that you are finding your source of life from that's not Jesus that may just undermine your ability to receive the gospel and inherit eternal life? The rich young ruler walked away sad because he was still holding on to his, to his life. There's two parables that illustrate this illustration. It's the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. They're found in Matthew 13. They're two sentences. They're right back to back. Matthew 13, I encourage you to go read them. It says there was a man who found a treasure in a field. It was so valuable that he left and he went and sold everything that he had to buy the field. And once he owned the, the deed and the property, then he would, the treasure would be his. He withheld nothing of his own personal belongings and safety, security, well-being, retirement, work, all of it, liquidated it to acquire this treasure that was incredibly valuable. Then there was a merchant that had a, probably a huge inventory of fine pearls and jewels. And he's in the market and he finds a pearl that is incredibly valuable, so rare. And he's like, I gotta have that pearl. So he goes back to his shop sells all of his inventory, sells the whole business to go and buy that one pearl of incredible value. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what a relationship with God looks like. When you understand the value of Jesus's sacrifice for the payment for your sin, when you understand the greatness of that exchange, you will withhold nothing in your life and in this life, in this 70 years to obtain it. That's what's at stake. But if you're holding on to your life, cramming everything into those 70, 80 years, you might be at risk of missing out on eternal life because you're gonna miss out on the gospel because we had to surrender everything. So what are you holding on to? What are you willing to bet your eternity on? What's the one thing that you're willing to risk your eternity on because you're unwilling to let it go, lay it down, lose your life in that one area? Complete surrender. Because those of us who make the decision of complete surrender will find eternal life and live on an eternal timeline and the 70, 80 years doesn't seem as important anymore. Now we should enjoy it. God gave it to us to enjoy, yes. But it's not the God, it's not the idol, it's not the thing that dictates all of our 70, 80 years. And when you understand this, when you, when you accept this, you start to care less about the things of this world. It'll take a little bit of time. It's hard in the beginning. I know, I was there. It's hard to let go. It's hard to overcome patterns and habits and decisions and things that you've been doing. It's hard, but over time, you begin to see how idiotic the value system of this world really is. How self-absorbed and consumed our world really is over the piece of tape. And we go, man, it doesn't even matter that much. And what freedom you can experience living on an eternal timeline. Matthew 6 says this, verse 19. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Man, what are you focused on? What, what is the treasure in this life that you are so focused on that according to Jesus, it's, it's, it's temporary, it will get destroyed. Rust is coming for the shiny things. The things of value are going to decay. 
like the moth and the vermin's talking about expensive garment, like fabric that was of significant value in that culture. Like that stuff is going to get destroyed. It's going to rot. It's going to depreciate. And he's saying, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is that one thing that has your treasure? Is it in heaven or is it on this earth? Laying up treasure for yourself in heaven seems to indicate that we have some influence on how we experience eternity. Like, why would we lay up treasure if we're not going to experience the treasure in heaven? We are, the Bible talks about that. We are laying up treasure that we will get to experience. And to the degree in which we lay up is the degree in which we will experience that in heaven. So yes, it seems like it's materialistic in some way of an experience, but here's the other treasure I think the Bible talks about of laying up in heaven. It's you, it's your family, it's, your, it's people. That's the treasure that we get to lay up in heaven through service and sacrifice and sharing the gospel, the good news that we've experienced with the world and not being dictated by fear and consumed with the world and holding on to things, we can then let go and find the life that God has for us and share that good news gospel with as many people as possible so we can um, share with eternity. The treasure is people in heaven one day. I've heard it put this way, make heaven crowded. Should be, should be a line that we, that we buy into, like make heaven crowded, make it populated. God's inviting us into that mission and that purpose to share the gospel. I've heard it, I've seen it on a t-shirt this way. Heaven is my home. I'm just down here recruiting. I'm a sojourner. The Bible talks about all, like those who are, are God's people, the nation of Israel, and those who follow Jesus consider themselves sojourners, foreigners. Our residency is not in this world. Our residency is in heaven and we're temporarily here to love and to serve and to recruit others, to experience the fullness of life that God had for them and wants for them in eternity, to live the life that they were meant to live. And man, as a father, it really puts it into perspective with my kids when I think about what really matters most. And yeah, I wanna give them the world. My wife and I were just talking about this. Man, I wanna, I wanna buy them every toy they ever want. I want to spoil, I want to give them so much. But then I step back and look at the bigger picture of the whole rope of their life. And I go, man, I just want them to be in heaven. I don't care if, 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 if they're a dropout from high school or college and work a nine to five that they're miserable in. But man, if their eternity is secure in heaven, that's all that really matters. Yeah, I want them to have a Harvard uh, full ride. I want, them to, I want them to experience all the greatness and success. I really do. When it comes down to it, I just want them to be there. I just want them to get in. I want to store that treasure up in heaven for my kids. And if I'm so consumed with my own life and my own agenda and my own success and my own dreams and my own flesh, I set a really poor example for them. And I don't model what it means to be a follower of Jesus very well if I don't lose my life. And if they don't see me lose my life through service and sacrifice, I just want my kids to be there. And a life of sacrifice and servanthood is how you lay up treasures in heaven. So would you let go? Because the harder you hold on, the more you hold on, the harder it will be to let go of your life. The third thing to remember is this. The apostle Paul, he, he coined it so perfectly in Philippians 1.21. Here's what you need to remember. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Gain. It comes from Philippians 1.21. 
for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about Paul for a second. This guy had an attempted murder on his life by stoning. And then they dragged him outside the city to be left for dead. Joke's on you. He's a honey badger. <laughs> he just comes back to life. He wasn't dead. He was imprisoned multiple times. He was beaten. He was outcast. He was made fun of just because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus, because he wouldn't stop living a life countercultural to the standard and expectation of the culture. They hated him. They wanted him dead. But he knew his purpose. He knew his calling. And he said, to live as Christ, no matter what I experience, I got a perspective of these 70, 80 years are going to be tough. They're going to be hard. I'm not going to get to satisfy all my bucket list items. That's okay. And no matter what I experience, it's for Christ. To live, for me to have another day of life is for Christ. To glorify him, to make him known, to share his gospel, and to be the hands and feet like Jesus, of Jesus. And every day that God gives us, gave Paul and gives us the opportunity to live, it should be for Christ's sake. But then when death comes for all of us, he goes to die is gain. To die is gain. This is not the end. My piece of tape's not the end. It's simply a new beginning. So to live as Christ means to glorify him in all things to share the gospel with as many people as possible to be on mission. And the life that he wants to give you is eternal, but also the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he means a literal place one day, eternity, but also it could be now. Life and life to the full now. John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Man, Satan has dominion and control over this tape temporary life that we live. And he wants nothing more than to destroy everything good in your life, to cause so much pain and suffering in your life that you question God's goodness. That's his MO, that's his motive. That's what he wants to do. But Jesus is saying, yeah, that, that, that's what happens in the earthly experience, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I've beaten death on the cross. I resurrected from the grave. Death does not have any sting over you anymore. And the life that you can experience now is life to the full. And so if heaven is your home and you're just down here recruiting and we were meant to have life and life to the full, one of your greatest witnesses is your life. One of your greatest testaments of who God is and the gospel is your life. And it's a shame that some of us are a poor example of that because we're, we're living in fear. We hold on to our life. We're, we're so close-fisted of my life, my wants, my desires, my future, yet we poorly represent Jesus with service and sacrifice and losing our life. People might look at your life and it's a shame if they look at your life and go, man, they're grumpy. They're angry at politicians all the time. They're actually argumentative and angry towards church leaders. They're, 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 they're kind of like the grump around the office and they're always pessimistic and they don't seem like they're very happy and their marriage isn't so great and their kids doesn't seem like they have a great relationship with their kids. What a poor testament to the fullness of life that Jesus promises us as Christ followers if that's the reality of your life. And so I'd say to you, stop being a grump. Stop being an angry, fearful, judgmental, poor example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
Lay down your life, surrender every aspect and know he's got control and you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to hold on so tightly. One of your biggest testimonies is your life and it'd be a shame to misuse that testimony. Be ashamed to miss out on the fullness of life because you didn't fully surrender and live a day, every day surrendered to be an example of Christ to the world, to lay up treasures in heaven. And then to die is gain. To die is gain. Paul knew that death is just a doorway into everlasting life. Death is simply a doorway into the life that you and I were meant to live from the beginning with no more pain, no more suffering and perfect unity with the God of the universe. That's what we were designed for people. And that's attainable only through Jesus. And so to live as Christ, glorify him, make him known, love people, love God, serve and sacrifice, lay down your life, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And when the day comes that it's time for you to die, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Now the process of dying will be a little bit scary, but you need people to walk through that with you. So live a life like Christ so that you have great relationships when that time comes. You see, death for Christians is simply promotion day. It's graduation day into where we will spend eternity in paradise with the God of the universe, our perfect, loving, heavenly father. You see, Christians don't have to fear death. And I'm not talking about people who just prayed that prayer once. That's not what a Christian is. I'm not talking about people who come to church every week. That's not what a Christian is. I'm not talking about people who do X, Y, and Z and give enough money and do a lot of good things. That's not what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who is understanding or understands the great exchange of sin separated you from God and you are a sinner and only Jesus's death and resurrection, faith in that alone will provide the forgiveness of your sin. And then it's a process of living a godly life, a life honoring and worthy of Christ and accepting of that. And when you get to that place, man, death doesn't feel so scary, but the process of death can be scary. And that's my greatest fear, the process of dying. I'm not afraid of death. I know exactly where my eternity is and I know that I will be in heaven with God and Jesus in paradise. I know that for certain in the deepest parts of my bones. But back in 2020, a hypothetical potential reality of me making an early departure and leaving behind my wife and my young kids almost became a reality in 2020. And I was faced with my greatest fear. I didn't know it was my greatest fear, but I was faced with my greatest fear. I ended up hospitalized for four days extensive testing and investigation of what's going on. And they couldn't figure it out after four days. And I was miserable, sick. It's 2020, it's COVID. It wasn't COVID, but I did, couldn't have visitors. My wife, because she works at the hospital, convinced the staff to let her stay with me. And I was in the hospital four days. Didn't know what was wrong. And finally, the physician who was presiding over my case for four days came to me, looked me in the eyes and said these words, I'll never forget, come out of her mouth. He says, well, we can't figure out what's wrong with you. Most likely you have lymphoma. And then I was like, okay, I don't know exactly what that means, but okay. So we talk about it. And then you get on the Google search train. And you're like, well, what type and how severe and depending on all those factors, I mean, death could be imminent. I don't know if you, I mean, some people can beat it and there's technology and treatments to beat it, but not always. 
And so for the first time in my life at 27 years old, I thought I was invincible. I was like, man, I'm young. Death is a long way off. Like, it's not a big deal. But it became a possibility and death became almost intimate for me. Imminent, not intimate, imminent for me. That it really shook me. It really made me question God. God, God, why? Why? And through that whole process of the couple of weeks that would come after that, before I would go and get a second opinion, and that whole time, it made me realize that I'm not exempt from that. That might be some of your stories to where a young parent, spouse, dies early and leaves behind a young family. I have some friends that that, that is their reality. Single dad now, lost his wife and got young kids, and now he's got to raise kids by himself. It's horrific. And I think as young parents, if you have young kids, that might be your greatest fear too, of leaving them behind to navigate this world. And I was terrified. I was like, man, if I go, like, are they going to be able to afford the house payment? Uh, What about reliable transportation? What about food on the table? Like, man, what a burden for my wife to have to try to navigate all of that on her own. And it made me realize that, yeah, I'm not invincible and that could be my story. And it got, it got me to a place and I'm incredibly grateful that I got to live like I was dying or have the potential of death to realize that my greatest fear of leaving behind my wife and kids isn't so scary if I believe God, if I trust God. Because I know Romans 8 says, he works all things for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. He will use it for his glory some way. And I came to peace with it. And then another way that I came to peace with it is because I realized if I do make an early departure, it made me see how incredible the people in my life really are. To know that if I would leave, that I got friends in an inner circle and I got this whole auditorium that would take care of my family. Because that's what the body of Christ does. The early church sold everything that they had and took care of each other. The Bible says, take care of the widows and orphans. If I'm going to leave behind a widow and orphans and you guys don't take care of them, you're not doing what the church is supposed to be doing. But I have confidence because I know you and I know the inner circle of my friends. I know I'm so blessed with people in my life that if that's our story and that's my family's story, they will be taken care of and all of their needs will be met. And I pray and I hope that I got an early graduation date and they'll come see me one day. And I never would have got there if that wasn't a potential reality for me. Come to find out it was a dual viral infection. And I don't know if I have lymphoma or not. I I still don't have clarity, but it doesn't define me. And I'm still here four years later. And I'm grateful, incredibly grateful for that moment because it helped me overcome my greatest fear of leaving behind my family. And so you don't have to fear death. You don't even have to fear the process of dying because God's got a plan in all of it. And would you just fully surrender and believe and trust him? And you might be thinking, Myron, can I really trust him with my life? Yes, you can. Because he gave you this life and he can be trusted with it. Because if you can trust God with your eternity, because a lot of us will go, yeah, I'll trust God with my eternity. If you trust him with your eternity, you can absolutely trust him with your day to day. And if it's five days left or it's 7,000 days left, you can trust him with every single one and know that he's good and that he's faithful. Here's what I learned is that God's people will take care of God's people. And so you don't have to fear death. If you're one of God's people, 
and you have God's people in your life, you'll be okay. Your family will be okay. So if your days are numbered, I challenge you to live faithful every single day. Live in light of death. Don't be so consumed with this. Don't let this rule your whole entire being. Have a bigger perspective on your eternity. And when you have that perspective, this becomes fun. This becomes much more enjoyable. The world seems pointless and the value system of the world seems pointless and you can cherish what matters most and maximize and receive the fullness of life that God wants you to have in this temporary. Would you leave behind a world better than you found it? Would you make the gospel more accessible to the people coming up behind you because of your life? Would you plant an apple tree that people could receive the fruit of that years down the road? Would you leave a legacy of storing up treasures for yourself in heaven by leaving behind the body of Christ, his church, his ministry, his mission of reaching people better than when you found it? Would you go all in and stop making excuses and fully surrender and get on the team of pushing back the gates of hell pushing back the fear of death and inviting as many people as possible into eternal life. Would you get on that team? Would you start serving more? Would you start sacrificing more? Would you start healing your marriage and healing your family and healing relationships and be an incredible testament by your life, not just your words of what the gospel is and who Jesus is? Because you're never guaranteed tomorrow. And it would be a shame to miss out on the fullness of life that he wants for you today. Would you make the gospel more accessible by serving, getting involved, plugging in, leaving a legacy and making the church, God's body more desirable for the world around it? So would you live in light of knowing that you were never meant to die, you were meant to live? Remember that forever. You are an eternal being having a temporary human experience and that holding on makes it harder to let go. So stop holding on and let go. And like Paul, memorize this scripture, Philippians 1. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Every day is to glorify him. Every day is a gift that he's given us. Would you live in the fullness that he wants? And when you die, it's promotion, it's eternity, it's paradise. And you don't have to fear it. You see, we're going to receive communion now, which is an incredible an incredible example and an incredible reminder of what Christ did to give us eternal life. You see, in, in the book of Corinthians, the apostle, or, uh, the apostle Paul kind of reiterates what Jesus said at the Last Supper. Jesus at the Last Supper, uh, before he's about to be crucified with his disciples, he says, take and eat this bread, which represents my body, my flesh that will be beaten and crucified for you. And when you eat it, remember that. Bring that visual to your head. Understand the great exchange that happened with his flesh being beaten and not yours. And when you eat that, remember that. Remember what he did for you. And constantly be reminded of what he did for you so that you don't lose sight of the life that you are called to live daily. And then on the other side, there's the, there's the juice, the wine. And he says, hey, take this cup. In my, this, is, this is a new covenant in my blood. 
shed for you for the payment and the forgiveness of your sins. When you drink this, remember this covenant, this agreement that I have with you, that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will save you. I will, I will make you a new creation in me, in Christ, and you will live forever. That's what the, the juice represents. His blood shed is a forgiveness of your sins, washing away your sins. And as a Christian, we do this. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, I would ask you just to not, and we can talk about it in the back and, and we can explain it. For those who follow Jesus, this is an act of worship and remembrance to never lose sight of what was done for you, to experience the fullness of life now and eternal life at the end where death doesn't have the power anymore that it used to because of his death. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower, you can become a believer right now. You can just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is God and that he died on a cross and he rose from the dead three days later. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and believes that and confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, that substitution shall be saved. There's nothing magical in a prayer. The prayer just ushers in a true, honest confession of the state of your reality, separated from God, broken because of sin. And this, the body and blood, is a substitution for you. So you can pray something like this. If, if you want to receive Jesus right now, you can pray something like this and just mean it. It's just the authenticity in your heart that matters. God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. But I believe that you sent Jesus, your son, to die on a cross for me, to shed his blood for me. So I confess it now in the name of Jesus that I'm a sinner in need of you, Jesus. Would you come and would you live in my heart? Would your Holy Spirit come and dwell in me and live in me and guide me and give me a new life and help me follow you as best as I possibly can? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If that was you, welcome to the family and you may take these elements now that's you. But if you're still unsure, come talk to me in the back. Come talk to a prayer member in the back. That's all. Remove the cap of the bread. Take it out. And remember, this is his body, which was broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of that. Then the cup, which is his blood poured out for you. When you drink it, remember that sacrifice. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for that sacrifice. I thank you that you bought our life back to you. You paid for it all in full and we are made right in your eyes. So God, I pray that you would help us overcome the fear of death that it wouldn't be so scary anymore. We'd have an eternal perspective and know that this, these days are temporary. And would you help us usher in the fullness of life that you have for us, to lay down our life, to stop holding on and to live free and to live a life that's full. Help us never lose sight. Thank you for the communion. Thank you that we get to remember with the wafer and the juice of your sacrifice and help us never forget that so we can remain in the fullness of life that you have. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.